0: And that was really a moment where I realized that so much of sex and so much of sex ed and the and the commute and the and the conversations around it are based on, like a f- just a fallible assumption that we're all on the same page about how we navigate these things. And that was when I really started delving into neurodivergency and sex and like what that
1: actually looks like. Hello, and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45 and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, All of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. I'd like to share with you this review from the Apple Podcast platform from a listener... I'm not going to pronounce this right... uh, B Pudge, B Papaj, B I B A P J, B Papaj. Anyway, this listener is in Canada, and they write incredibly informative and insightful. I love this podcast. I'm recently diagnosed at age 53 after my child was diagnosed. My life and all the challenges I have faced now make more sense. Keep the episodes coming, and thank you. And thank you for that lovely review. It really, really helps other women find this podcast. And it helps me to keep going each week, bringing you these interviews with amazing women. Speaking of amazing women, if you've been listening to this podcast and you are looking for more expert guidance, support, and resources, come join us in the Women and ADHD online community. You can find us at womenandadhd.com. The community is moderated by myself, as well as licensed therapist and ADHD specialist, Jules Edwards. We work really hard to curate a safe, friendly environment where you can find friendship and connection with other incredible ADHD women from around the world. And in order to keep this community safe, trustworthy, and friendly, we do charge a small one-time fee to join. However, if you would like to join us, but you're finding the fee prohibitive, please send me an email and let me know. You can find that in the show notes. Okay, here we are at episode 73, in which I interview Kate Osborne. Kate, or as we all know her as Katie Osaurus, is a certified sex educator and full-time content creator known for her frank conversations about living life with ADHD, depression, and chronic pain, all while sporting a fabulous array of eyewear. She currently has about 2 million combined social media followers, and her work focuses on funny, honest conversations about ADHD advocacy, disability awareness, and advocacy in sex and the neurodivergent experience, especially within the kink community. And she's also an avid gamer and player of D&D, As a professional streamer and TTRPG influencer. She's passionate about opening conversations about neurodiversity and accessibility into the gaming community. And she's also the co-host of the delightful podcast Katie and Eric's Infinite Quest, where she and her partner Eric talk about life with ADHD and depression and navigating life as neurodivergent adults. Katie and I talk all about sex and neurodivergency, as well as Emily Nagoski's seminal book, Come As You Are. We also discuss chronic overwhelm and burnout as ex-gifted kids and the prescience of the TikTok algorithm. Katie also offers up a fantastic analysis of the ADHD is a superpower narrative, which I know you will love. So stay tuned. I gotta say, she was every bit as pleasant and engaging in conversation as she is on her myriad social platforms, and it was an absolute delight to get to pick her brain for an hour, so I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Also, this episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. You'll be hearing a little bit more about Magic Mind later in the episode, so stay tuned. One of the things I'm most nervous about with talking about sex... And, and asking you questions about sex is the fact that like, I am an open book on this podcast. Like oh, yeah. I am as candid as you can be. It never occurs to me to censor anything about my life. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm also like, I do have a partner of 20 years that I want to keep. And like, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I want to respect his privacy. I know that there's also like people who, you know, like he has like colleagues who listen to this podcast. So yeah. it's going to be really hard for me um, to not, you know, maybe we should have like a, a, a test if you're like, you might not want to talk about this, right? Yes. <laughs> I call those it? fruit snack warnings. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, well, what a, can I, that's actually on my question list. So I might as well just ask you that. What is up with the fruit snacks? I, I feel like I've seen a lot of your TikTok videos, but i never saw the advent, the genesis yeah. of the, the fruit snacks. It was, it was
0: very organic. It was. So what happened was, is one time as a joke, like uh, my mom said that she was mad at me because sometimes I would just start talking about like sex and ADHD and she's like, I love you, but I don't necessarily want to hear about that. Um, And so then the next time I like happened to be eating a package of fruit snacks uh, because I like fruit snacks. And so then I just said, I made some joke about it. And if you don't want to see this kind of content, here's a fruit snack, go get it. And I like threw it. And that kind of just stuck and it became this thing where like now if I say fruit snack warning, like most of my audience just knows what that means. And those who don't, like it's fine because I still go, we're going to talk about sex and ADHD. So if you don't want to see this kind of content, grab a fruit snack on the way out. Um, But I always say that first because I feel like I used to say, if you're not 18, grab a fruit snack, but then somebody pointed out that like the stuff that you're talking about is very like sex ed based. And for a lot of people, sex ed starts at like 11 or 12. And so like excluding an audience based on age, isn't necessarily as inclusive as saying, Hey, if you're uncomfortable hearing about sex, no matter what age you are step outside. And so I decided like, I just felt like that was a really good way to enforce consent and enforce boundaries. Um, but in a way that's like very approachable and very like sort of friendly you know it's not like if you're 18 fuck off like it's (laughs) it's, you know it's like hey like if you don't want to hear about this that's cool but we're gonna you know we're we're gonna use appropriate terminology and so you might learn something so
1: Okay. All right. I always wondered about that. Cause I was like, is she playing <laughs> a long game trying to get MOTS to sponsor? I mean, also the- that,
0: also <laughs> that there is a long game, but the problem is, is that I only ever use fruit snacks when I'm talking about sex and kink. And so I feel like MOTS is like <gasps> never going to sponsor me. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive.
1: You never know. Um, you never know with TikTok. Um, right? Okay. So, so let's get started with, I guess my first question, which is you're diagnosed in adulthood. Were you diagnosed pre-pandemic or post-pandemic?
0: I was diagnosed pre-pandemic. I was diagnosed I technically I went in for the appointment the day before my birthday but I was diagnosed on my 30th birthday was when I got the phone call which was a very weird experience Um, but my diagnosis story is actually weird because there's like a secondary thing that happened and so what happened with me is I actually had an ovarian torsion. Um, and when I had an ovarian torsion, um, it was so bad that my ovary actually died. Um, and I went into sepsis and I almost died. Um, and so they had to have, I had to have emergency surgery to have the ovary removed. Um, and then after that was when my life started falling apart and for weeks and weeks and weeks I had no idea what was going on. I literally thought I was losing my mind. Like I was scared. I thought I like early onset dementia. I didn't know what was going on. Um but at the time I was I am still an actor, but I was I was in a show and I was doing a show in rep with three other Shakespeare plays and I had leads in all three of these shows. Um, and as a person who had been living with undiagnosed ADHD, I developed a lot of systems and a lot of structures to sort of like support myself through that. Um, but then they all stopped working. And overnight I went from being this actor who was like very good at memorizing my line, making sure that I like took enough time to like prepare and I was like going to be ready and I was going to be on board too. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't sit down to focus. If I did find the, the sort of motivation to sit down and learn my line. I would read the same line over and over and over again. I couldn't hold anything in my head. And finally, my husband looked at me because my husband is, is the one who does a lot of the, like my, you know, like quizzing me on my lines. And he was like, are you okay? Like, I've never seen you struggle like this. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And thankfully, at the time, I had a friend who has ADHD and depression. And he looked at me and he said, I think you have ADHD. And I said, there's no way. Like, I have two master's degrees. I got straight A's my whole life. Like, you know, and he was like, I don't know, fam. And so I, I went to the psychologist, honestly, just out of fear. I didn't really go expecting an ADHD diagnosis or anything. I just wanted to know that, like, I was okay and I lucked out. I have the best psychologist in the history of the world. Um, but her experience was also as sort of like a burnt out gifted kid. Like she has ADHD and anxiety. And so talking to her and like being able to sort of like talk through my experience, she was like, oh yeah, like I see you. This is valid. You This is so common in women, you know, in their thirties. Um, and so what I learned was that ADHD is very impacted by your hormones. And so because of my ovarian torsion, that kicked off and a hormonal imbalance that was so profound that that was really what made my ADHD unlivable. That was a really long story. I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) We don't apologize for rambling on this podcast.
0: Uh, I was just like, I was like, at some point I'll get to the point I brought.
1: No, I mean, it is so fascinating when you connect the dots. And you know, when I was thinking about that, like you know, as I look back at my own um life and the moments in which like my life turned into a shit show because it's sort of yeah. this like roller coaster, right? So yeah, it's like absolutely there's, you know, there was middle school and then there was university. And then there was when I had a baby that was like, again, like hormonally, it was just like, oh my God, like, I yeah. can't believe how different my experience would have been had I had any clue that this wasn't yes. just my own personal moral failing as a human. Yes, um, And now, you know, as I enter in the like multi-decade phase called merit, perimenopause. I'm like, who knows what's happening? Uh, but you know, I think for me, my, um, diagnosis was so wrapped up in the pandemic. It's really difficult for me to kind of sort through and sift through what was hormonal and what wasn't. Um, and what was just like the trauma of living in America for the last like four years and counting, yeah. right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's something I feel like I'm always trying to sort out through these conversations, which is like, you know, how many times I asked myself, like, is this actually ADHD or am I just an angry feminist who like can't? Deal with. Um, <laughs> I think know? like a little column A, a little column B, honestly.
0: <laughs> well, like-
1: that's what, at the end of the day, I know I'm like, doesn't really matter. Like, uh, you right. know, um, but it's so, like, for me, it's been, it, it's so interesting to think about. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, the, you know, this idea of like, are, when we talk about ADHD, are we talking about kind of this genetic neuro um, biological condition? That is leading to life becoming unmanageable at certain yeah. times when other factors are brought in, like hormones or trauma, et cetera, or, or do we only think about ADHD as those traits that show up in the worst of times? Does that make sense? You know, like I think- yeah.
0: Well, it's it's one of the reasons why I started doing what I do is because I got so angry about all of the places that I didn't know ADHD affected my life. Um, You know, and like, like now as sort of an ADHD advocate slash educator, you know, understanding like the profundity that ADHD can have on a person's life. Because before, before I started knowing all of this stuff about ADHD and it became sort of like this big part of my life, you know, I always thought it was just like, oh, this thing that kids have when they can't sit still in the back of the classroom. But then it was like the more that I learned, the more that sort of my my eyes were open and my worldview shifted to like realizing that like it is a all-encompassing disorder. Um, But even more than that, like the the different ways that it shows up, things like the rates of addiction, the rates of eating disorders, the rates of sexual dysfunction, like sleep disorders, comorbidities, like depression and anxiety. Like there are all of these things where I was looking at my own life and I was going, oh. Well, now that I know that I have ADHD, the 17 years that I've been dealing with binge eating and bulimia sure make a lot more sense. <laughs> um, you know, the way that I can't drink without drinking to excess sure makes a lot more sense. Um, and so there were like all of these moments where I was like, it, "It." I get so frustrated by the limited scope to which so much of the conversation about ADHD like stays in. I get that's a weird way to say that, but as I just get so frustrated because it's like, it's not just about school. It's not just about like not being able to like organize your work notes. It's like, this affects every facet of your life, like from like waking up to going to sleep, quite literally for some people. Um, and so that was the thing that uh, really drew me to like opening these conversations and having this conver- these conversations and doing this work was I just got mad. I just got mad that that wasn't part of the conversation. And that was the part that I cared about. You know, that was the part that was affecting me. I did fine in school. It was the rest of it that ruined my life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like so many of us come to our own understanding of ADHD through the like emotional regulation element right like yeah. the, that like oh my God, how much of my own you know inability to cope, inability to like have uh Relationships with people that were fulfilling, you know, like all of these ways in which we, yeah, it's sort of affected our life emotionally. And like, none of that is listed on the, on the DSM. And like, I don't, I've never met a single person who was like, I felt like I had a deficit of a detention, a deficit of attention. Um, so we'll get to that later. But I will, yeah, I think- I, I'm about
0: to soapbox so hard when we get to that. <laughs>
1: I have opinions, (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting to me too, like how we're getting to this point with social media and TikTok with, and, and, you know, uh, let me start over. So it's, what is fascinating to me is the fact that we are getting this huge divide between individuals who are sort of educating themselves, seeing themselves in, um, social media content online, you know, feeling deeply seen by ADHD, um, you know, videos, whatever. And then they're going to their doctors and they're just becoming like completely rejected and there's gatekeeping and gaslighting. And, the, you know, I also had a really great experience with a medical professional who actually knew what she was talking about. And I came to her and, you know, with all of this paperwork in a frenzy and she was like, shh, calm down. Yeah, it's okay, Yeah, <laughs> we got you. Um, and then from then on, have not, I've just heard like nothing but like horror story after horror story from women who have their doctors have told them things like, "Yeah, you're fine, you know, or you've made it this far. That's one of my personal favorites is you made it this far without a diagnosis. What's the point? Yeah. Um, You know, but being said, you know, you're just depressed or, you know, all of these ways in which our medical professionals are just like lagging. Yeah. And then women who are just like, what do I do? Like, just it just feels like there's such this um, divide between like the information that is out there. Like, yes, you probably have ADHD, and then the ability to like help people in in, in, to have the system then help people. Yeah, I think you know, right now it's like this advocacy is so important, and like I don't know, like changing the face of what it looks like for medical. Professional, like I don't know. That's why I think so many of us. I think it's so great when when um, so many people, after they have their diagnosis, go into advocacy and and go into you know educating, as yeah. opposed to you know being like, oh, I, I yeah, whatever. Like I've never met somebody who was like, yeah, I got diagnosed with ADHD, but like it's it's fine, it's no big deal. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that there are some people who who have that right where like and and I hear this a lot, especially in like older women where it's like, I've been living my whole life, like, you know, building these systems and building these structures. And now I found out I have ADHD and like, yeah, some things make sense, but like, it's not fundamentally changing the course of my life. But then on the other side of that coin, you have people who like whose core understanding of who they are and what they are and how they navigate through the world shifts and changes like overnight. Um, And I think that's a really kind of powerful thing to think about because one of the things that i struggle with the most as an advocate as an and an educator is that my frame of reference is what i only can speak to and i only really have experienced my own experience Um, you know, and I say this a lot, but it's like, if you know one person with ADHD, you know, one person with ADHD and because ADHD is a spectrum disorder where people have different strengths and different weaknesses and they, and they struggle in different ways and they, and they, you know, are very successful in other ways. um, It becomes really hard to contextualize a conversation where everything looks so different on everybody. You know, you have people like me who are incredibly academically successful, um, you know, but I can't do my laundry or keep my house uncluttered to save my life. Um, or, you know, but then you have the opposite. You have people who are immaculately clean and very organized, um, but they really struggle in school or they really struggle with like the comorbidities of like learning disabilities and things like that. And so it's like, because there is no one way that ADHD looks, and then that's sort of like, we get into soapbox territory about how they really only ever researched like a single type of person, right? Like, so it's like all the research, like looked one way for a very long time. And we're seeing, you know, women left out of the conversation. We're seeing people of color left out of the conversation. We're seeing trans and non-binary people left out of the conversation entirely. Like there have been, I think, one and a half studies done about the effects of like uh, hormone replacement on like ADHD. And it's just like, there's a huge segment of the population who has both ADHD and is in need of hormone replacement. And even to like a certain extent, like women in like menopause and stuff are also using hormone replacement therapies. And so it's like, where is the, where's the research? Where's the research being done about the effects that like our hormones and these things have on us? And so like this like i'm trying to like step i'm trying to calm my soapbox down but i've had a day so i'm riled up um but it's but it's it's just like i feel like it does such a uh, it, it does such a short it has such a short-sighted focus you know and it's and it's again like one of the reasons why i started talking and and advocating was because like when i first started reading about ADHD it was all literature geared towards parents who's like kids wouldn't stop screwing around in class and like what to do when your ADHD kid won't behave. And I was like, I wanted to change that narrative. I wanted mm-hmm. to to talk about the all the different ways that ADHD looks like. And so I think that as frustrating as it is, I think one of the best things that we can do for our community is having conversations like this and being open and honest about like, that's not a thing that I struggle with, but you might, and that is okay, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: This episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. When it comes to maintaining focus and energy throughout the day, I tend to rely heavily on caffeine. But that can backfire when I get over-caffeinated and end up with that jittery, agitated feeling that interferes with my ability to focus and be productive. This is where Magic Mind comes in. Unlike regular energy drinks, Magic Mind contains minimal caffeine, but is loaded up with all natural ingredients like the adaptogens, ashwagandha and turmeric, nootropics and matcha, all of which help you keep that focus and motivation throughout the day. As a special offer for listeners of the Women in ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. Simply head over to magicmind.co slash women ADHD and make sure to enter the code ADHD at checkout. Again, head to magicmind.co slash women ADHD. And you'll find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids six through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey, while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply, renews from four hundred ninety nine per month unless cancelled. Okay. So let's get into sex. Cause I, I feel like for me, the two biggest brain explosions, which, that's <laughs> not true. I had so many of them, but I feel like it, for the contents of this conversation, it was a huge brain explosion for me uh, to think about my relationship with sex through the lens of a, uh, of an ADHD diagnosis. The other right? one was <laughs> eating. Cause I was actually a binge eating recovery coach. <laughs> Mm-hmm. before my diagnosis. And so, you know, and I had this long storied history with body dysmorphia and eating disorders and, and, and yeah. now with, through the lens of ADHD, it's like, oh yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's really same. It all makes sense. <laughs> Big same. So the, what are some of the things that have were like blew your mind when you started thinking is you obviously like have, you know, you have a much more storied relationship with, <laughs> um, just, I guess, sex education. I mean, you, you, uh, I found out from your interview with Leah Carey that you like put yourself through grad school by being a dominatrix. So this wasn't (laughs) like, it's not like you woke up one day and you were like, I'm going to start talking about sex. I mean, this has been sort of woven into most of your adulthood. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, one of the reasons why I decided to become a certified sex educator was because I wanted to have sort of a, training and an educational background that could ground a lot of, like, the knowledge and a lot of the experience that I already had. Um, And so as a certified sex educator with ADHD, um, my primary sort of, like, area of focus has become just looking at neurodivergency in sex and, you know, sex education. Um, Because one of the things that I think is so interesting is that in... I would say 99.9% of conversations surrounding sex and sexuality and consent and communication. The assumption is, is that everybody involved is neurotypical. Everybody involved has the same understanding of memory. Everybody has the same understanding of time. Everybody has the same like understanding of what communication is and how to like communicate. And that is fundamentally not the case across the board, right? Like it's just not a thing. And it really came to a head, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Um, but it really came to a head when I was getting my training. And I was sitting in this class, and we were we were talking about, um, you know, sex. We were just, I mean, it was a conversation about having sex, right? Um, but the instructor was talking about this idea that, like, you know, if, if sex gets interrupted, if you need to go pee, if somebody falls off the bed, if something funny happens, whatever. Um, he said, the moment is not oh, what did he, oh God, now it completely fell out of my head. It's like, the moment is not precious is basically what he he said. The moment is not precious. And I, and my body (laughs) filled with like a white hot rage. And I was so angry. And I was like angry in a way that I don't usually get angry. Like I work very hard to not get mad. Um, but I was furious. And I was like, what do you mean the moment is not precious? Like every moment of my life is precious. And like, especially like with sex, like, yeah, I absolutely recognize that sometimes you need to pee during sex and that's okay. But like for me, if I go get up in the middle of sex to pee, whether or not I come back in a headspace to be able to continue intimacy is completely contingent on 5,000 other factors. And that was really a moment where I realized that so much of sex and so much of sex ed and the, and the commute and the, and the conversations around it are based on like a, just a fallible assumption that we're all on the same page about how we navigate these things. And that was when I really started delving into neurodivergency and sex and like what that actually looks like. And the more that I learned and the more that I realized there was like this huge, huge gap in our, in our conversations and our understanding, um, that was that was like a really big turning point for me in terms of like really committing to like okay this is the thing that i talk about now because i guess nobody else is
1: yeah well and i think i think permission is so important too um you know one one thing that one of the like pivotal books for me was emily nagoski's come as you are oh my god
0: i i love that book
1: <laughs> it's so good and i you know i read it both my husband and i read it um Before I was diagnosed with ADHD, but it was like, you know, it's so, it's so seminal in, in the way that it's like the message is basically whatever works or doesn't work for you is normal. Right. And like, I feel like we need permission to be told that whatever we are doing or whatever, you know, you know, I I love what she talks about when it comes to the accelerators and the brakes. And that's something that I like come back to all the time when it comes to, you know, when being in the mood and being hypersexual or, I'm almost never hypersexual. I don't know why I said that, but like, (laughs) um, but you know, but that book essentially gave permission that like, you are fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. And I think it it really showed me how like most of mainstream media, when it comes to sex and sex education is like, shows you something so radically different from what most of us actually experience that we lose that sense of like permission. Um, you know, where you're like, wait, did that woman just like climax in 10 seconds? Like that's, that doesn't happen. Um, and, and I got, then, I got some good news for you, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it was just that idea that, um, you know, I think, I think that at least I feel like, um, uh, from my experience, cause I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to generalize when it comes to neurodivergency, but like, I feel like permission to be who we are is something that we really struggle with. And I certainly struggle with and like have a lot of times in my life have had to like explicitly seek out the permission to be like yes, you know, whatever your experience is, there's something wrong with that, that we go into a lot of situations feeling like, if it's not working for me, it's because there's something I'm doing wrong, not the fact that the situation is just not working.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think even even past that too is like, again, I don't want to like universally speak for every neurodivergent person, but I think that there is a lot of trauma and a lot of... uh I I, like, I don't want to say shame and guilt, but I, I really do mean shame and guilt. Like, I feel like a lot of neurodivergent people hear over and over and over again, like they're too much or they're being overdramatic or they need to calm down or they're being too loud or they're being too excited or, you know, they need to act a certain way or be a certain way that they fundamentally are just not. And so then when you enter into these spaces where you are expected to be yourself and know yourself and know your likes and know your dislikes that can be immensely difficult for somebody who has been told over and over and over again for their entire life that they're wrong and they're bad and they should be a different way. And the way that they are isn't good enough or is weird or strange or doesn't fit in or whatever. And so of course, like coming as you are for somebody who is neurodivergent, especially a late diagnosed neurodivergent person can be difficult and and scary and vulnerable and hard because a lot of times like we don't know who we are because we've been putting on these masks and we've been doing all this work to fit into a society that tells us to calm down and not be so excited and not be so loud and not be so scattered and not be so unfocused and not be, and not be, and not be, and not be over and over and over again. Um, And so One of the things that I love to do whenever I teach a lot of classes and workshops and I go around to a lot of like kink spaces and and like dungeons and organizations and I, and I teach classes there. And one of the things that I really like to ask, like first thing is I was like, what is your favorite movie? That's what I, I start with that. I say, what's your favorite movie? And like 90% of the time, you know, it's a Star Wars and I'll say, okay, is that actually your favorite movie or is that your partner's favorite movie? And they'll go, oh, well, my partner really likes Star Wars. We're like, yeah, that's great. What is your favorite movie? And they go, well, I don't. And I go, yeah, but like, what, what's the movie that you love? And sometimes they can't tell me. And and then we we talk about that. We and, and I tell my story about how like I spent years never picking the movie because I didn't want to make the wrong choice. I spent years saying that Star Wars was my favorite movie. It's not. My favorite movie is Shakespeare in Love. Um, you know, and and you know, and so they're like, there's all of these places where it's so easy to just say, whatever you want is fine, whatever you need is fine. I'm happy with that. Um, and that's great in conversation with being a supportive partner, but that is not so great in having our own needs met, especially in conversation with sex and intimacy. And so for me, it's been really enlightening and really eye-opening to talk about neurodivergency in conversation with, well, what do you want? What do you need? Like, what do you need to feel safe and supported? Because everybody is different. Everybody is an individual. And so coming as you are involves a lot of self-reflection sometimes and a lot of introspection and a lot of having to release the shame and the guilt of, I need a blindfold during sex because otherwise I'm going to get distracted. I need you to play music because if the neighbor starts mowing his lawn, it's all over for me, you know? Um, And so that's why I love getting to have those conversations because I feel like not only are we talking about sex and sexuality, but we're also talking about honoring ourselves and honoring who we are and our own needs and our own wants. And I think that's like, really powerful for people who haven't necessarily had that opportunity before if that makes any sense at all.
1: Oh my god, so much. I mean, I just thinking about that idea of like determining your own needs in in a sexual context, right? Like and how especially difficult that is for people who like you said have spent most of our lives fearing making decisions because we're worried it's going to be the wrong one. Or even just like, it's so much easier to put other people in charge a lot of the time when you feel like you don't really know, you know, you're not really um, in touch with with. Um, you know, you just don't want to be at the wheel a lot of the time. And I remember when you were talking with Leah Carey about, um, about the, you know, the difficulties with having somebody perform oral sex. And it was just like, it was like, I get so so freaked out. I get so freaked out. Well, and it was just like, it had ADHD (laughs) written all over it because it's like, not only is there the whole issue of like, you know, it gets kind of boring because it takes a while, but there's also like, so there's the distractibility. It's kind of lonely and cold. (laughs) And then (laughs) there's also just the worry and the guilt that like, once that sets in, it's like, you can't get rid of it. Right. Where you start to worry so much about like, is my partner enjoying themselves? Are they, you know, and then you start like, it's so, I feel like sex demands, good sex demands a level of like selfishness that I think is really hard to access when you have, when you're crippled with RSD. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I think like RSD is a, is a big part of it, but I also think too, and, and this is like less a neurodivergent problem and more, I think just like a cultural problem, but you know, and I know that this is talked a lot about income as you are, which by the way, just listener, go buy the book and just save yourself some time. Just, just go buy it. Just go buy it. Just go buy the book. Um, yeah. But, but one of the things that honestly took me so long to realize is that there is this narrative in in popular culture, and especially in like romance books and movies and all that kind of stuff is like, well, true love means being able to read your partner's mind. And it is, and that's the exact opposite thing to true. But I run into this constantly with this idea that like, well, I shouldn't have to ask my partner to be hugged. I shouldn't have to ask my partner for them to say, I love you. But then I say, okay, well, how would your partner know that you want them to hug you and say that I love you before they leave unless you ask for it? Uh, And then the other person says, well, they should just know. And I say, well, how are they supposed to know? And they say, oh, well, they love me. They should just know. And I said, no, 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 no. This is not how any of this works. Like if your need is to be hugged and told that you're loved before your partner leaves the house, that is a perfectly valid ask. That is a perfectly valid and necessary need for you to articulate and if your partner grew up in a home where it was like bye and then they they left and that was normal your partner may not know that that is a thing that you feel is missing and that and your partner may not know that that's a thing that is like a thing that people do but this assumption that true love means inherently knowing without having to talk about it without having to explain your bodies you know join perfectly and there's like doves flying out and shit it just it doesn't happen it's this not reality. And then when you sort of like, you know, zoom in a little bit more and and have that conversation around sexuality and neurodivergency, it's like there's so much to unpack. And things like rejection sensitivity, things like uh, interoception, not being able to like know what you're feeling or articulating your emotions, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Like there's so much more than just what we're being told by the media, I guess. I don't know. I forgot the end of the sentence. I kind of was like, I got, I got ramped up and then I stalled. So it's fine.
1: (laughs) Sometimes I like start going and then I'm like, I got no ending. I got no ending. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. Magic Mind was created by James Bechara, a Silicon Valley investor and entrepreneur who ended up in the ER with a heart condition brought on by the combination of stress and caffeine. He started researching natural alternatives, teamed up with scientists and medical professionals, and he created the Magic Mind drink and wrote the book Beyond Coffee. I personally really like the taste, and it's a nice little shot of energy to keep me focused throughout the day without any of that jittery, agitated feeling I get from too much coffee. Beyond just energy and focus, it has ingredients to help you stress less, reduce brain fog, and stay on task. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. And make sure to enter the code ADHD at checkout. Again, that's magicmind.co slash women ADHD. And you can find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. I think, you know, one thing for me too, that has been really fascinating, um, was the fact that i i hated making out yeah <laughs> Right. And I also, and I never, ever thought it was like a sensory issue, right. That I Mm -hmm. just don't like things in my face. And so that was another one where I was like, I feel like my diagnosis gave me permission to be like, oh, it's okay. If it's a sensory issue, then I can ask for, I can ask for my wants and needs better within this context. It's almost like accommodations, like you would get an IEP for your sex life. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I think that like with that too, is like, not that, diagnosis is like necessary for advocating your needs. Like I want to be very clear about that. Um, but I think that one thing that a diagnosis can provide is, and I, and I always kind of say this and I say it half jokingly, but it's like, it gives you a place to Google from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because like once you have the term, once you know the thing, then you can say, okay, well, like what are other people with ADHD experiencing? Um, and that can be really useful because it allows you to contextualize those needs and say, okay, well, some people with ADHD do have different, like sensory issues. That is, that is part of ADHD. Um, you know, the same way that, you know, rejection sensitivity. Okay. Well then, you know, also like sexual dysfunction or slash disappointments is what I like to say. Um, you know, and then it's like, okay, comorbidities, like depression, anxiety, like all of those things feed into our sex life. All of those things feed into how we navigate the world. And so having the right term to Google is, I think, a great place to start because I think it gives a lot of people permission to do exactly what you said, which is say, hey, it's not that I don't love you. It's just that I cannot stand the sensation of oral sex. Like it's a sensory thing for me. Um, and that I think gives us a. It I I don't want to say like it justifies it, but I think it allows us to really take stock of like all of those little things and say oh that's that's because of this I'm not broken I'm not I'm not damaged it's just a thing and we'll we'll deal with it you know and I think that's really useful in terms of like supporting yourself and being able to like advocate for your own needs
1: yeah I think it all kind of falls under that same category of like we are not the problem, right? The problem is whatever situation I'm facing and that needs, you know, we need to figure out how to fix that. But like, yeah. you know, I think our default mode is always to be like, I am the one who is, who is at fault here because, you know, maybe we're told that 10,000 times in our child. Right.
0: It's, it's shocking to me how common that is in, in especially for people who are late diagnosed is just, that that feeling of, you know, I'm I'm the broken one. I'm the one doing something wrong. And it's like, no, maybe, maybe it's okay if you need to like, you know, do this, that, or the other thing. Like it doesn't, it's not a commentary on you. It's just what you need. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that was, I think one of the like one of your videos that lives in my head rent free. <laughs> um well actually there's two okay first of all, there's the Venn diagram of ADHD D and D uh, and kink is like a stack of pancakes. A stack which of pancakes. Is- uh, uh, the Venn diagram that is a stack of pancakes. I, I love that term so much. Um, but, uh, but the video about just like being like really, really competent. And so, you know, this idea that like, we are super exhausted, uh, because, Um, we are very confident at a lot of things. And so there's this idea that like, we should be able to figure everything out. And so a lot of that frustration, well, yes, we are told a lot of the times throughout our childhood, like you need to try harder, you need to do the thing, you need to just work at it and you'll get it. But like, I think that a lot of that, it comes almost like internally from being a, like it's it's sort of a byproduct of being generally bright at, at things, yeah. you know, and, and be that frustration of like, why am I not figuring this out?
0: It's so funny that you mentioned that video because it's like, not that this matters at all to the conversation, but that video got some of the lowest views that any of my videos <laughs> have ever got. That was not a popular video. Like it was, it did not do well. But when I tell you that more people directly reach out to me and talk about that video, more than like, you know, I have videos that I think have like seven, eight, nine million views. And that video that I think maybe 7,000 people saw is like the one that keeps coming up. And I think because like, it's so weird. Cause like, thanks, TikTok. That was really helpful. To you for, <laughs> thanks, thanks, daddy, TikTok. Uh, but like, I think the reason why that video kind of sticks is because like, it's a, it's a very, I think it's a very universal experience for anybody who is sort of like that burnt out gifted kid sort of like vibe, but even more than that. um, And this is a thing that I heard even from people who like, didn't necessarily go through like gifted programs, but they are, they were like socialized as a woman. And there's this expectation that like mom holds everything together. You know, mom keeps the house in order. Like mom, mom is the one who's like running the show And so the expectation of having your shit together often just comes with appearing female to the world. You know what I mean? Uh, And I think that's really interesting because I think that it adds yet another layer of complexity and another level of challenge in unpacking all of the different places where neurodivergency fits into our life and, and affects our lives. Because if the expectation is always that you have your shit together and you are the one who's keeping track of everything and you are the one managing the household and you are the one doing all the work, which is very, very common for many women, you know, who are experiencing this, um, having to then take stock of all of that and say, on top of, you know, the neurodivergency, on top of the struggles, on top of everything, is still, I still have to handle it. There's nobody else to handle it for me. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, and then we find a lot of people in your experience who that was the story until the pandemic when all the structures and all the systems started breaking down. And now it's just like, the, it's it's like a twofold sense of loss. It's a, it's a sense of like, oh, so much of this is making sense because now I have this diagnosis. But then it's also like the again, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for anybody but myself, but like the anger and the resentment and the guilt and the shame that can come out of like, but I'm the one who's supposed to have my, my shit together. I'm the one who's supposed to be, be handling all of this stuff. And if I don't, who's going to like, what, if, what if my accommodations aren't, you know, aren't going to be helpful for everybody else around me? Like what happens then? And I think, I wish that we talked more about it. I really, really do.
1: Right? I mean, yeah. Oh God, there's so much there. Like, first of all, that idea of like, rather than helping you, if you look like you're struggling, it's much easier for us as a society to just applaud you for all that you do. You're right? so brave. Right? You're so brave. So, uh, which is why I get so fucking frustrated with this idea of that ADHD is a superpower. Cause we're doing the same thing with ADHD. <laughs> just for the record, her eyeballs just roll back in her head. For your <laughs> listeners, <laughs> I just made a very obvious face. But you know, we're doing the exact same thing, which is like rather than help you, we're just going to we're just going to reframe this into something that you should be applauded for all the things that you do and just like reinforce this idea that you're you should be able to have have it all and do it all.
0: I mean, you know the thing and I've said again, I've said a lot of this before. But like the thing that I keep coming back to, and this is maybe rude, but here we are. Like if contextualizing your ADHD as a superpower is the thing that gets you through the day. I, I respect that. I understand that. I understand that sometimes it's, it's really like, you need that, you need that thing to hang on to. And if that works for you, that's fantastic. However, my husband collects comic books and he is, has an encyclopedic knowledge of the Marvel universe. Um, Sometimes I'm like have you ever read a comic book because superpowers are universally across the board isolating <sighs> and difficult and they affect your family and your relationships and the the narrative around superheroes is never like is never, oh, my God, Captain America. It's, oh, my God, Captain America is balancing these pressures of having to be this leader and be this hero, um, but carrying, like, the guilt and the shame and and the anxiety of these pressures. And, like, or, like, Rogue is a really good one, like, from X-Men because it's, like, Rogue superpower involves, like, if she touches you, you fucking die. <laughs> like her entire superpower is about the feeling of isolation and uh, and about the feeling of not fitting in in this world and so i think that like it's really logical it's it's incredibly logical to make it a direct analogy for neurodiversity to superheroes but i think that if you're going to contextualize the superpower it makes a lot more sense if you're contextualizing it within the the framework of the isolation and the difficulty and the loneliness and the the challenges that a superpower faces or, you know, uh, results in as, as instead of being like, I'm a superhero and I can do anything. It's like, yeah, uh, but ultimately you're going to have to leave your partner because they, your secret identity. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just, it's it's so interesting to me that that we have that superhero conversation. But it's like, have y'all ever read a comic book? Because it's not, it's not as great as it seems.
1: No, that's brilliant. I think, you know, and now when somebody refers to it as a superpower, I can just be like, you're right. I never thought about it. I'm so sorry. That feels really difficult. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's the thing is like, that's what I started doing. And it was yeah. really interesting because I think a lot of people like... It's, there's a, there's a culture of toxic positivity that has, as I think always kind of been there, but has, has become much more profitable as of late as people who are like living through this ongoing pandemic and their mental health is being sort of like dramatically affected and their systems and their structures are breaking down. There's like this, this toxic positivity self-help narrative about like, all you have to do is you know, believe that your ADHD is a superpower and harness the power of your hyper focus and you'll be fine. And it's like, that's not how it fucking works. And, and so this, this idea that there's a one size fits all solution to a deeply personal and deeply different neurodivergency is I think really damaging, you know, because it's, and if you want to kick a dead horse about it, like there are so many different superpowers, you know, and some of them are really lame, you know, like some of them are really like underwhelming superpowers, but some people have like a, a phenomenal, you know, like Superman, he gets like, he gets all the good powers. Right. Um, But it's like all of those affect those superheroes lives in different ways and, and, and show up in different ways and cause different problems. And so it's like, yeah, it might still be a superpower. We can call it a superpower all day long, But like your self-help book and your planner may not work for me. And so at some point, it's like, why are we having this conversation? Like, it's not how any of this works. Anyway, I'll stop ranting about that. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Hey, friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise then make sure to come join me in the adhdlounge.com. Again, that's the And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the adhdlaunch.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD in women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy to access, self-guided and self-paced course, so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womenandadhdcom coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me, So we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's women and ADHD.com slash coaching. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. Well, now I'm curious, like, you know, I talk a lot with guests about the medium of TikTok and what it is about that magical, like one to two minute video that seems to have broken through the mental health, you know, education barrier more than any, any other, social media platform do you have any theories about like what it is about the the vignette i mean i think the
0: easiest joke is that for adhd 15 seconds seems (laughs) non-threatening you know but i honestly think that what it what it is more than that is it's a combination of both like the digestibility of like short pieces of information. Um, but also like the community that arises out of that. Because like the algorithm, like I hear so often, like the algorithm knew that I was gay before I did, like that, you know, the algorithm knew I had ADHD before I did. I hear that all the time. Um, and so I think that there is like sort of a double-edged sword of like, I can go on TikTok and I can highlight one thing. You know, I can, I I talk a lot about like ADHD uh being affected by your period if you're a person who gets period. Um And I talk a lot about that. And so every time I post that video, I get a million billions views. I get a million billions comments. I get a million billions emails. Um, And so, but then what happens is in the comments, all of these people start saying, wait, this happens to you too? Wait, I thought I was the only one. Wait, no, there's all like, and so it's nice because the digestibility of whatever the, the thing is that I'm talking about that day in conversation with like the interactivity and the community that that results in that information being disseminated it's it it really becomes i think like cyclical of the community, you know, wants to have these conversations. Here is a place for these conversations to happen. Um, and it's been it's been incredibly rewarding and it's been an incredible privilege to get to sort of like be the person who says, well, hey, let's bring attention to this. Let's talk about this. Um, I think I'm one of the only people talking about like specifically ADHD and sex. Um, there's been a few more people who have sort of hopped on board that train since I started talking about it. And it makes me so happy because the other thing too, is like, everybody has a different background. Everybody's experience is different. And so it's like, yeah, 10 people can make a video about ADHD and sex and have 10 different things to say and 10 different viewpoints on it and 10 different, you know, different stories, but those are all valid. And those are all part of the community. And it's not that one person is right and one person is wrong. You know, like one person might say, oh my God, kink is the best thing ever. And somebody else might say, you know, kink doesn't work for me at all. And both of those things are valid. And I think as a community, it's important for everybody to have the ability to to look at that easily digestible thing and say, well, one person said yes, one person said no, we're getting a very, uh, you know, different viewpoints, different, different perspectives, different stories. And I think the more that we do that, and the more of that content that gets made, the more we start really having a larger conversation about how diverse and different and how different the experiences are of the community as a whole. And so I think that it just kind of like compiles on itself over and over and over again, like all the time.
1: hmm I know. I tell people to bring TikTok videos to their doctor all the time. And then I get backlash where people are like, oh, you, you know, a a one minute video isn't going to diagnose you. And I'm like, no, but a one minute video is going to be a frame of reference for conversation where you could describe your situation to your doctor in a way that if you were just sitting there in the doctor's office and they're like, what are you here for? And you're like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Like, you know, we need, we need to take notes basically in our life. And so you can't bring the 800 tabs that you have open on your laptop (laughs) into the doctor. I mean, you might, but like so often, I think the the these uh, short vignettes, you know, open up windows into so much of our inarticulatable—that's a word I'm pretty sure—experiences. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Well,
0: and yeah, I mean, I advocate taking notes to your doctor so hard. I will, I will die on that hill. Take, bring notes to your doctor. Like you're, they're your employee. You're paying them to be there, so like, use your time well. Um, but I think too, like, one of the really interesting things that happened to me when I first started doing this and like my my uh, you know account started sort of like picking up steam and attention, um, is that a lot of the first interviews that I did were with people who were doing stories about how annoying it was that ADHD was becoming part of this larger conversation and how cringy it was that like everybody was getting diagnosed because of TikTok and how embarrassing it was that all of these people were going to the doctor and being like, I think I have ADHD. And I was like, who is that hurting though? You know? And that was the thing. And I kept fighting and I got like real feisty with some of the journalists who reached out to me because I was like, what's your problem with it? And they're like, well, I just think it's... And I was like, what's the problem? And they're like, well, it's just like everybody's like hopping on board the ADHD train. I'm like, is it possible? Just throwing (laughs) this out here. Is it more likely that... ADHD is not perhaps as trendy as you think it is, but what is actually happening is that we as a culture and as a community are having a much larger conversation about how the voices of women and people of color and trans people and older people and and all sorts of different diverse voices are suddenly coming to the table and saying, no, this is also something that I live with, but here is my unique experience that has previously been unresearched and untalked about because all of the research is focused on, you know, 18 to 20-year-old white men. Um, And so is it not possible that perhaps instead we're just seeing how badly and dramatically the system let us down, how dramatically all of these like underdiagnosed Communities are are suddenly talking about this. Is it not perhaps likely? And then they would get real quiet. He's like, but don't you think it's cringy? And I'm like, I don't think it is. Because I think if you go to the doctor and you say, I think I have ADHD, and he and I don't assume the gender of your doctor, but they say, like, you know, okay, well, why do you think that? And you pull out a TikTok, right? Is exactly what you said. It provides a frame of reference. Now, your doctor might look at you and they might say, you know, like, mm, okay, well, like, that's only like one component part of having ADHD, but that sounds like anxiety or that sounds like depression or it sounds like at bare minimum that you're really struggling with this one thing. Let's get you some support. Let's get you a system. Let's get you a referral to a counselor, a therapist, or a psychologist. And it's like, there's no, ADHD pie, like the ADHD is not going to run out if a bunch of people seek out a diagnosis. What it is doing is, is it's showing like really and truly like how many people are part of the pie and how our perspective on the, on the pie is changing. And I get, I just get really heated up about that, you know, cause I'm like, what, why, why is this a conversation? Like let people live their lives
1: and and have that chance to like redefine who they are to themselves it's like it's not hurting anybody
0: like and also like there was one time when this when this uh journalist was talking to me about it and they were doing this story about how cringy it was and i was like well i'm just gonna say this but like tiktok runs on an algorithm (laughs) and so if all you're seeing is adhd content that's not necessarily the universal experience of every single person on TikTok. And then like three months later, they contacted me and they were like, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that after doing some more research, it turns out that I in fact was, uh, had ADHD the whole oh. time. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> I know. So vindicated. I just posted about that today where I'm like, I'm so tired of all of the, you know, those like douchey posts that are just like, this is everybody's experience. This is an ADHD. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, I want to give each one of those people a hug and be like, it's time to talk to your doctor. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's, and it's like, you know, I think there is, if I'm being fair, there is some, there's a lot of misinformation out there, you know? And there was like, there's like the, the one that I always come back to was like, there was like this really big conversation about how, if you recognize someone's footsteps, then you have like just childhood trauma. And it was like, oh, cause it's a trauma response. And it's like, no, it's because you lived in the same house with people for 20 years. Like, it's not necessarily... Like, it can be. It absolutely can be. And we're not going to invalidate that. But it's also like, this is a very common experience. And so it's like, I think you have to tread very carefully when you are doing research. But I think that it's also one of the great things about the conversation about neurodivergency is that research is becoming much more accessible. That information is becoming much more accessible. And so I also think to a certain extent, like the misinformation is really getting filtered out because even when the, the video blows up, you know, it's like, if you recognize your husband's footsteps, you are, you have trauma. And it's like, and then, you know, 20, you know, qualified medical professionals will, will stitch that video and say, no, Actually not. And so I think that it's nice because it's, it's also creating dialogue mm-hmm. and it's also defining stuff for a lot of people in a way that they may not ever have had the access to that context before, which is cool.
1: Now, really quick, because uh, I'm watching the clock right now. So what we did a really you... good
0: job sticking to time. I'm really proud of us.
1: Right. Thank you. Um, so um, what would you call ADHD if you could rename it?
0: Attention directional hyperactivity disorder. I think that's really it. I think
1: that's, I think that's the thing is it? you'd keep the hyperactivity and the disorder part.
0: Maybe. I mean, I think (laughs) I well. And honestly, okay, this is a, this is a little bonus rant for you and it's fine. I, I, I'm good on time for the, I I can, we can go 10 minutes. (laughs) There's always time Um, for a bonus. There's always time. But like, the thing is, is that I think the real truth is because of the system in which we operate, um, especially like if you live in America, the healthcare system is broken all the way to shit and so there are a lot of people who advocate for we need to take the disorder out we need to we need to remove the conversation about disorder or disability from ADHD and and i'm really against that and i'm and i'm not against it because i think that ADHD is a disorder because i really think that like there are what is what is a disorder you know but i think that what that conversation is eliminating is is the conversation about accessibility to resources, access to medical care, access to medication, access to IEPs, access to, um, you know, mental health supports and stuff. And there are so many people who advocate for saying, it's not a disorder, it's not a disorder, it's just like the way that we are. And that's amazing. And that's great. But a lot of times those are coming for people who can afford private insurance. That's coming from people who can afford medication, who don't have to apply for aid or apply for an IEP or maybe are in a school system where, where you know, neurodivergent and, you know, kids with learning disabilities are underserved. And so if we're going to have a conversation about what to rename ADHD, we cannot leave those people out of the conversation. We cannot say, well, because... I have the supports in place because I have the structures that I need and it's not a disability for me. It's not a disorder for me. I'm fine. That's really harmful to the community. Like Mm -hmm. it really is. And so it's like, and it sucks because there's so much pressure to rename it. There's so much pressure to, to say like, it's not a disorder, but ultimately we have to think about insurance. We have to think about billing. We have to think about school system saying oh it's not a disability anymore it's not a disorder anymore great we don't have to provide any sports or any supports because it's going to save us money on on our system if we don't have to support these students anymore and that is going to be very very harmful for a lot of people and so i think I don't like deficit. I don't like the word deficit because I think it is a complete misnomer. But I think that unfortunately, we do have to have the disorder or some kind of indicator that this is this is a real medical condition that a lot of people struggle with and it looks very different on everybody. But we cannot eliminate those support structures in the interest of making ourselves feel better. And I, I think that's really important to talk about.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think it it, it sort of, ties in with the whole running theme of like legitimizing what is happening to you. And, and as well, like having the permissions that you might need, as opposed to just being like, well, it's a behavioral issue. You just need to try harder. You just need to discipline better or whatever it is. Uh, and you know, at the end of the day, you're just making excuses. Um, the hyperactivity I struggle with just because I feel like for me, it was such a barrier to me really taking, you know, the, for so long, it was suggested to me by my therapist that you, I should look into it. And I was like, I don't have 80, I don't have ADHD. I'm not hyperactive. I could lie on the couch for days.
0: Yeah. Well, I think too, like, like just better education and more education about what hyperactivity looks like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because like spoilers, impulse shopping is a type of hyperactivity.
1: I know. I think my most popular <laughs> video was basically like, I'm not hyper. And then it was like a list of all the ways in which, yeah, it was like, oh, I'm quick to rage, road rage. Holy, like I remember my yeah. doctor asking me at the, my diagnosis, she was like, how do you feel when you're stuck in traffic? And I was like, I feel like I want to rip the steering wheel out of the <laughs> dashboard and throw it out the window. And I was like, oh, right. I get right. it now. <laughs> I'm like, um, I live in
0: Atlanta. Was, I would not wish this traffic on my worst enemy. Oh
1: God. Uh, well, I really appreciate you taking the time and sitting down with me I know uh, I'm sure that when you tweeted out about people getting in touch with you I'm sure you started an avalanche but <laughs> oh it's
0: great it's been so, I Has was so happy that I did it was amazing because oh, I've got to meet gotten to meet so many cool people I've gotten to talk about stuff that I just deeply and passionately care about um and it's been awesome because I get to like connect with cool people like you so it's been Aww. it's been rad
1: wonderful awesome well wonderful and uh, now if for anybody for the you know the eight people who don't know who you are. Um, (laughs) I bet it's more than eight people. It's fine. (laughs) But you know, what, uh, how can people kind of find you i'll have all the links in the show notes but in sh- i feel like we didn't talk enough about um being a certified sex educator so oh, that's, that's okay. kind of where you're you going can, with this and, can and just have, you know.
0: have me back on we'll have a whole other party it'll be great <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> see what i did there <laughs> uh no but i'm uh i go by katie sorus katie with a c on all social medias you can find me on TikTok, on youtube on twitter but it's mostly just me making dungeons and dragons jokes um i also have a youtube channel um we're gonna i'm gonna start doing a lot more youtube content uh, uh, in the in the long run uh more long form content which i'm terrified about um i also uh stream on twitch if you're into that kind of thing we have a great community that gets together every morning we just hang out we talk we vibe sometimes we talk about mental health sometimes we just you know sing songs it's it's, it's just it's sort of a, a grab bag you know um but you can find me katie source all the places um also if you liked listening to me talk for the past hour i have a podcast it's called katie and eric's infinite quest and adhd adventure we talk about life with ADHD and depression and navigating the world as sort of just neurodivergent adults. We talk a lot about sex. We talk a lot about kink. We talk a lot about relationships. We also play Dungeons and Dragons. It's an ADHD podcast. I do what I want. Uh, but yeah, that's that's me. And if you want to learn more, you can go to katiosaurus.com or uh, infinitequestpodcast.com. And I'm uh, that's where I am. You would think at this point I would be good at that part, but I, it's, I'm still the worst. It's still the part that I dread the most of any part of the podcast is when they go, where can I find you? And then I panic for five I know, minutes. There's
1: like 18 different years. I know. You're, you have so many hats. I have so have, many.
0: Have, it's just, my entire life is just a box of hats at this point. It's fine. <laughs>
1: um that's awesome yeah oh god see that's the other thing my daughter will my 15 year old is huge into D &D and larping and this was like serious street bread that i even told her i was interviewing you Mm -hmm. uh, because she's a big fan our love (laughs) language is sending each other tiktok videos all day long that's delightful And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.